Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture here at Midweek. Thank you for joining us. Hope you're having a good day. Coming up on our program, we're going to get a harvest date from harvest update from Illinois, the Quad Cities area. They've been battling some weather delays, and we'll get an update on how harvest is going there. Also, we're going to take a look today uh, at something in the farm bill that you just probably wouldn't think's in there as they uh, continue to try to work, uh, find a resolution on the farm bill and the impasse around. Uh, the SNAP uh, challenge, we talk about commodity title, we talk about the conservation title, but there's something else in there, amazing what all gets put into a farm bill, something that even uh, impacts freedom of information and require, and uh, being able to access some of that uh, information that uh, the media often likes to do to get uh, more information on a particular topic. Well, there's something in the farm bill that could impact that moving forward. So we'll we'll learn more about that a little bit later on in the program. But joining us now is Jarrett Renshaw, National Energy Markets reporter for Reuters. Jarrett, thanks for joining us. So we've had the big announcement from the president the, starting the process uh, to get E15 sales year-round. So now is the ball on EPA's court, and what are you hearing from there? Uh, uh Glad to be here. Uh, yeah, so that's the state of play here. We're waiting to see the, the official rule from the EPA that, that the White House has ordered the EPA to come up with that rule. So a couple things we're looking for are is the timing of it, um, what is the exact language, and they are coupled with some trade restrictions, and that part of the uh, equation is a little fuzzy. So we're curious to see what, what, what gets coupled with this and and one last thing is whether they're they're coupled together in the same bill or or are they separate separated in two different rules. So I think still some things to watch out for and some signals to to, to catch. Okay, so what what do you pick up? What's the vibe from EPA? I mean, seemingly this is not something that they've just openly and willingly want to do. Um, do you get a feeling on a timetable on this or are they going to try to you know are they going to be slow and reacting on this or what do you see happen you know in conversations with white house officials they they seem committed to getting the rule approved before this summer of 2019 it is my best understanding that the epa had already drafted a rule um and uh so they have something ready to go I think the big question, right, is uh, that the oil industry has threatened lawsuits. There's no doubt they will file lawsuits. And if you know that, right, you, you, the rulemaking itself and the words and the language in the rule are, are so important to any successful defense of that lawsuit. So my best guess is that they're going to take their time um, to make sure that the uh, the thing gets scrutinized by lawyers, that they can stand up against a legal challenge, um, but not so much time that it delays uh, any real benefit uh, heading into next year's uh, driving season. So, what's your feeling? Will will we be having E15 sales next summer? I mean, I don't. Th- I'm not optimistic. I I do think really? that the ball. I think that the uh, there's a couple things, right? I, I do think the the legal uncertainty um, 
going to slow the rollout no matter what. I, I, I think I am not an attorney, but from what I can gather in talking to the oil folks and even biofuel folks, I think there's some some um, good evidence to suggest that the EPA lacks the authority. Um, and I, I think the I think the oil folks do have a uh, you know the question is can they get a stay if it. They don't have standing until after the rule is proposed, as I understand. I'm sorry, after the rule is finalized, as I understanding, as I understand it. So, can they stay the order uh, until it gets resolved? And I, I think there, you can make a case that um, you know allowing that to allowing the rule to move forward or E15 to move forward does does prevent some some harm if it gets eventually rolled back. So I think they may have a case for the stay, and I think at that point. Now you're really into some murky territory on, uh, on how long, you know, how these court battles can last. So I still think there's a lot of uncertainty heading into uh, next year. Wow. So as we've said all along, it's far from a done deal. For political purposes, of course, though, the president can say uh, he followed through on what he said he would do by by starting the process, making the announcement. Uh, uh, but as we pointed out at the time, that there's a big difference between uh, making an announcement, starting a process, and it being finished and completed. Yeah, I mean, the, the general gist, I guess, from talking to folks in the biofuels industry is that they are certainly happy he did it. Um, and, you know, if he, they put on a staunch defense and eventually loses in court for some reason, well, you know, they can't fault him. Um, you know what? One way to avoid this is have some kind of legislative uh, uh, resolution, and perhaps this this will get us there. Um, um, while the rule making process follows its course, right? There's there's always that chance, and uh, but I, I don't think I don't think the administration would be penalized if they lost in court politically. I think uh, right. as long as they put forth a good defense and, 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 and put the rulemaking through and, and did all that, I, I think, um, you know, they certainly wouldn't be penalized politically for it. We're talking with Jarrett Renshaw, National Energy Markets reporter for, for Reuters. Uh, speaking of a legislative uh, move on this, we've seen some uh, back-and-forth debate uh, already in Congress for and against uh, uh, the RFS, so uh, I don't know that that could be expected. No, I, I, I certainly there are uh, warring factions within Congress that that make any uh, uh, coming together impossible. Um, but you know, in my experience covering politics, uh, politicians don't like to leave actions to bureaucrats as a general rule. And if uh, the bureaucracy is doing something that there's there uh, that politicians of one side don't like, that can compel some negotiations to get some resolution. Um, to make sure that, you know, for instance, the people that don't like E15, maybe they'll like it if they get something in exchange, right? So it, it could certainly inspire some horse trading, and that's how a lot of times these bills get done. You know, at this point, I just see there's a lot of noise. My email box gets filled with a lot of, you know, pros and cons of people sending stuff, and people uh, galvanize certain uh, camps around these things, and, I, and I, you know, so it, I don't know. You know, these press releases don't, don't, don't matter much to me, I think, in the, mm-hmm. the bigger picture of things. Well, meanwhile, Casey's came out with an announcement they're going to expand E15 sales, so maybe there's already been some benefit from the announcement. I think so. I mean, I think, you know, ultimately, you know, I think uh, that you, you're going to see a big push from 
the, the corn lobby and the ethanol folks to, to move forward as if it's a done deal, and I think that's smart strategy, and, and, and to show the benefits um, from an economics perspective of, of what this means, right? So I think they're, they're going to use this momentum to, to kind of push the ball forward, and you can make an argument that the more you integrate E15 into the system, uh, the more politically plausible it is to kind of keep it going, right? So it'll be interesting to see, but appreciate your take on this, and we'll see how it plays out with E15 summer sales. Thanks, Jarrett. All right, Mike. Take it easy. Jarrett Renshaw, National Energy Markets reporter for Reuters. Uh, he has his doubts, as you heard, that uh, we'll have E15 sales next summer. We will see. All right, coming up next, an interesting part of the farm bill we haven't really talked about. That's next on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything, editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months and even more stuff but still no jobs well you really have both see stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group sometimes this stuff is no longer needed wait no longer needed that can't be right because remember those jobs you were looking for those are really needed and they're the stuff inside your stuff even inside that winter coat that moved with you to phoenix our job is to unlock those jobs and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local goodwill here's how we do it When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. All right, guys, we're ready for our Four Seasons sunroom, and Daddy's going to get a rec room with refreshments. Oh, no, we'll be sleeping under the stars. Mom, what about the one with, you know, the fun? Nice try, little bro. It's a gym, my gym. Hey, Grandma's getting her Four Seasons garden room, weather tight and still like being outdoors. Maybe a living room. Oh, no, wait, a family hub. Yeah. Yeah. No matter what the budget, the season, or the climate, Four Seasons Sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Call now to hear more about these great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since 1975. More reasons for Four Seasons Now. To find out more, call toll-free 800-988-4477. That's 800-988-4477. Call 800-988-4477 today. 
Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, as Pat Roberts and Debbie Stabenow and Mike Conaway and uh, Colin Peterson continue to try to work and their staffs continue to work to try to come up with uh, resolutions to the impasses on the farm bill, and uh, we'll hear more about that again after the uh, November elections. You know, we talk a lot about uh, the big challenges, the SNAP program, food stamps, worker requirements, things like that. That's the huge issue that they're they're dealing with, wrestling with, still haven't found a resolution on that. Uh, but you've got some differences on the on the confer- uh, conservation title, you know, with CRP and some different programs there. You've also got uh, even differences on the commodity title and uh, now a question about uh, money going to certain segments of the country, certain crops uh, for certain producers in different parts of the country. So there's still differences there. Uh, we talk a lot about crop insurance. Those are the things that get the most headlines. But in any bill or any piece of legislation, if you really look at a lot of the details, you'd be surprised at what you might find in there. And in the Farm Bill, and in particular in the House version of the Farm Bill, there's something in there that would impact uh, the Freedom of Information Act. And here to talk about that is Jonathan Ellis, a reporter with the Sioux Falls Argus Leader. Jonathan, thank you for joining us. Hey, happy to be here, Mike. So, Tell us what's in here in the in the House version that would impact, of all things, freedom of information. Well, uh, buried, you know, as you as you describe it, this very complex bill. There's this little cul-de-sac uh, in this bill that would uh, bar the disclosure of um, of SNAP uh, sales data, retailers' sales data. So um, that's in that's in. Um, a response to a lawsuit our newspapers had against uh, the United States Department of Agriculture now for it's a seven-year lawsuit. It is now at the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, and because uh, the U.S. Department of Agriculture and now uh, the Food Marketing Institute, which intervened in the lawsuit, they've lost um, at every turn. Uh, judicially, they are seeking to kind of carve out an exemption in the Freedom of Information Act that would bar the release of um, how much money they make every year in the SNAP program. Um, and there's there's that provision in the House bill, and there's also a, a a less a less clear version of that also in the Senate bill. So both bills have some have a sort of non-disclosure uh, language in them uh, that we're certainly concerned about. So not looking for conspiracies here, but do you think there's some connection in in the uh, the push, especially on the House side, for these changes with worker requirements, and everything with the SNAP program, and uh, then also, all of a sudden, you have this pop-up uh, that would uh, make it harder to get information on the SNAP program. I'm not sure if the two are connected. I, my, my suspicion is uh, certainly the industry, um, the, the retailers uh, who participate in the SNAP program, who make, who make tens of billions of dollars every year off this program, um, certainly they would, they're, they're the ones who oppose releasing uh, the sales information to the public um, they don't want the public to know how much money they're making, and I'm particularly probably uh, the large corporations within the food industry in particular. Um, but they would, I, I would imagine that um, anything that would uh, would restrict, um, you know, the number of people who are in SNAP um, who can get into who can get enrolled into SNAP, um, they would probably oppose that too, because again, that affects uh, sales. I mean, I think if you're a food retailer participating in the SNAP program, it's to your benefit to have more people in the program. So 
I would imagine that they that they uh, would oppose the worker requirements as well. I think I, I think I read somewhere back in April uh, uh, that they had uh, registered their complaints about those uh, requirements. So the two are not, I don't know that the two issues are necessarily linked by themselves, but certainly the, the players who stand to benefit. Uh, I think that those players are behind both of these issues for sure. Yeah, and that's an interesting point too, Jonathan. As much as people frame uh, the debate on SNAP about uh, who gets benefits, who doesn't, who needs it, who doesn't, how many, I mean, there's a business side of this too, and uh, retailers that handle that business, it's important to them. It's it's huge for them. Um, to what extent, we don't necessarily know. Um, you know, you don't know, for example, if, if we were if we win this lawsuit um, and we prevail and get this data, um, we you know we, we would know how much, for example, the um, you know the, the the gas station on the corner might get in SNAP sales. That doesn't tell us you know what their overall revenues are, of course. Um, but you're correct. I mean, this is a huge program. Um, you know, during the uh, during the Great Recession. Um, you know, when you add in administrative costs to the program, and we're talking about an $80 billion a year program, um, and while that's diminished somewhat, I think we're still in the, you know, the $70 billion a year range. Um, and I think, you know, you, you talk about how we talk, you know, who, who, are, who are the people who can participate in the program, the requirements of that. Um, lost, I think, oftentimes in the debate about this is where that money ends up going. And it ends up going to, you know, a lot of, you know, small-time grocers and, Retailers, but also, you know, our suspicion is that a huge amount of it goes to companies like Walmart. And I suspect—I mean, the resistance that you're seeing uh, from retailers—I suspect that the big push is is from these large retailers who just don't want—you know—they don't want the taxpayer. They're, they're actually profiting from the taxpayer uh, every year. So I think that that's where the resistance is coming from. We're talking with Jonathan Ellis, reporter for the Sioux Falls Argus Leader. So the National Newspaper Association uh, filed a, a lawsuit on this issue. Where does this stand, and will it will there be resolution before they get the farm bill done? Well, they filed uh, the Food Marketing Institute, which intervened in the case uh, a couple years ago now. Uh, after the USDA, we prevailed in the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals, uh, or actually, and then in the district uh, court trial here in Sioux Falls. Um, it's right now the F- FMI has appealed; they lost, and now they have filed a writ uh, of cert at the United States Supreme Court. Uh, they filed that last week. Um, so now we wait to see if the United States Supreme Court actually wants to take up this case. Um, the you know, FMI, the Food Marketing Institute, is arguing that the release of this data, uh, these annual sales data for every retailer that participates in the program, would cause comp- you know, substantial competitive harm to the Supreme Court, that different interpretations of that, of that FOIA exemption um, have have been um, interpreted different ways by the by the various uh, circuit courts. So they're trying to get the Supreme Court to take up this case. Um, obviously, you know our, our view of it is that you know, they're trying to probably um, run out the clock and try to get something legislatively passed because I think again judicially they've had you know no success in convincing the courts uh, to withhold this data. Yeah, as as slow as Congress can be, the the judicial system can at times be even slower. Uh, so you, your big concern is with the the language in the House bill a little less, maybe on the Senate side. Any idea which 
they might go with? Because we just haven't heard much about this, hardly anything at all, really. Well, I know that the industry is pushing very, very hard um, to try to get that. I mean, I think in particular they, they would prefer to have that house uh, language um, because it cites the specific FOIA exemption law, making it easier for them to then withhold the data. Um, I, you know, I know that they're lobbying very hard uh, on the issue. They have, you know, enlisted some of their allies, which would include like uh, anti-hunger groups, which, um, by the way, are funded, you know, uh, by the same corporations uh, that are that are fighting this. I have not heard. I mean, certainly, you know, our allies are lobbying to get the language removed. Um, but you know, as you indicated, I mean, this is a this is a minor deal. I mean, you know, most of your listeners are are concerned about, you know. Conservation programs, insurance programs, where where the money is going to, you know, I mean, this is this is a very minor issue for the bulk of the, the people who um, you know, are affected by the farm bill, and whether you know it's the, the people on SNAP or whatever. So, I don't, you know, our issue has not uh, certainly within the world of journalism and, and transparency advocates, uh, it's it's been a big issue. But for the people who you know live with the farm bill uh, every day of their lives, it's not something that uh, is. is uh, it would be concerning to them, I would imagine. But as you indicated, every time you get a a big complex bill like this, uh, you can rest assured that uh, some members of Congress uh, who uh, who get money from lobbying special interest groups that they're going to try to insert something in there. Yeah, and and that's what I I wanted to point that out because uh, you know there there are things in probably any bill that ever gets passed like this that don't get much attention, but. It, it, I mean, in certain areas, have a big impact. Yeah, certainly. I mean, you know, these uh, these big complex bills that this is just the way our the modern Congress works. Um, you know, I think they call them. You know, sometimes they'll call them Christmas trees. You know, some, if it's not if it's not you know, you know something related to like transparency issues or or maybe a tweaking a law that favors a certain company in an industry. I mean, uh, they're also, uh, you know, they're also loading up certain bills that have to pass with all kinds of, like, pork barrel spending projects. So this is how our Congress operates uh, for, for good or ill, uh, oftentimes for ill. <laughs> so, but, I mean, I think, uh, you know, if you've, if you've watched Congress for a while, I mean, this, I guess this is just what you come to expect. I mean, in a way, they, they kind of um, legislate by emergency. Well, Jonathan, thanks for calling it to our attention, and we'll be watching to see how it uh, all works out. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mike. All right. Jonathan Ellis, a reporter for the Sioux Falls Argus Leader. Up next, we're going to talk markets with Steve Nicholson, grain and oil seeds analyst for Robo. Stay with us. This is AOA Adams on Agriculture. When it comes to selecting your propane supplier, you have options, and switching to FS has never been easier. If you're looking to find a propane provider who's committed to providing you the professional, knowledgeable, and dependable service you deserve, be confident in choosing FS Propane. We offer flexible payment options that fit your needs so that you can focus on your family and not on your propane bill. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today and let us help make your house feel like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. 
Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Grain futures are trading in a mix on this Wednesday. Weather forecasts remain clear to allow farmers to begin resuming field work after recent delays due to rain and snow. That rain and snow has been supportive to price activity. Traders continue to watch for any developments regarding the ongoing trade dispute between U.S. and Chinese officials. The Trump administration has formally launched trade talks with the EU, Britain, and Japan as the president looks to expand his America First trade policy. Pundits say the White House trying to send a message to Congress that they want to wheel and deal with those countries, even as the White House digs in its heels with China. New crop November soybeans, key 100-day moving average resistance at 887.5, stalling the recent rally. On the downside, as long as support at 874 and three quarters, the October 8th high holds firm. The bean bulls retain the short-term technical edge, trending two and a fraction higher in soybeans an hour into this Wednesday session. In corn, we are trending a fraction higher. The near-term trend remains bullish, according to the wire talk. Resistance at 378 and three quarters said to be looming large on the horizon. In the wheats, we are four to five lower in Chicago, four lower in Minneapolis, five to six lower in Kansas City. Live cattle futures at the Merck, trending in a mix, 30 cents on either side of steady. Feeder cattle, a nickel to 52 cents lower. Lean hog futures, 52 to $1.40 lower. On Wall Street, the Dow is down 233 points. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network. I'm Rusty Halverson. Do you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day, because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter bankruptcy or divorce it just doesn't matter as a matter of fact your job is your ticket to your new vehicle we're auto credit express and we've helped thousands of people just like you antonio h told us great company got me connected and the day i went in i drove off in the car i wanted 100 percent worth your time need a car get started now and drive off as early as today just go to 11 ignoremyscore.com right now that's www.11ignoremyscore.com auto financing the easy way 11 ignoremyscore.com get started today auto financing the easy way information america's farmers and ranchers need to know Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. All right, joining us now is Steve Nicholson, grain and oil seeds analyst for Rabo. A lot to talk about uh, with the harvest and with uh, the USDA numbers and with markets. Steve, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Mike. Good to be here. Good morning. All right, let's talk about um, the fact that this harvest is dragging on, some real weather issues, uh, concern about the uh, field losses, quality of uh, of those crops that are out yep. there with snow and a lot of wet weather. 
Is that enough of a concern to kind of offset uh, those big numbers we uh, just saw from USDA? Well, it's a great question. I think something you have to think about in a couple different contexts. I think, you know, to answer the question directly, I don't believe that there's enough loss that you're going to offset, you know, 800 million bushel carryover on beans and 1.8 billion bushel carryover on corn. Could it be less than where it is today? Absolutely, and I think that's that's certainly a positive direction. Um, but I think the, the other thing is to think about kind of what this means in the market context of today is that, you know, the, the more positive fact is that this, this harvest is getting drug out. And, and for many reasons, that's a good thing from a market perspective and also from, you know, trying to get this crop put away and stored and, and moved and that sort of thing. It, it does create some opportunities that way and that it doesn't create the big backup that you have if you have a quick harvest. It also, you know, it's going to relieve some of that hedge pressure because it's not going to come to the market all in one shot like if we had, we'll say, three weeks of open weather. Um, and so I think that's one, you know, we're seeing a little bit of that reaction to the market today. You're starting to see, you know, you see new crop, you know, red deece or new crop corn above $4 on the board. Uh, you're seeing even new crop beans, which is hard to believe, you know, creep, you know, close to that 950 area, which is kind of remarkable considering what we have for carryover. Um, so I think, you know, particularly in the corn, I think you have to look if you're a producer thinking about, hmm, I need to be looking at, night, you know, 19 and, and maybe even look at 20. I mean, you look at, you know, November t- or December 20, corn is at 416. So there's some things there that I think while it doesn't really change the overall fundamentals, it does change some of the dynamics of the market here in the near term that may provide some opportunities for producers to, to put some profit, you know, to maybe lock in some, some margin. Do farmers in times like these need to kind of maybe get out of their comfort zone a little bit on marketing? I mean, when you're talking about locking in some prices that far out, that probably makes some nervous right there. Oh, absolutely. And and, and I I think the premise of your question is correct, is that we, we do have to kind of talk about getting out of their comfort zone. And I, I had someone tell me recently, or I, and I'm going to quote them, and I can't remember the conversation I had, is that, you know, I think we've always thought about, well, we don't sell the crop until we get it or until we harvest it and see what we have. And I think we have to think about, and it goes to your question of being out of the comfort zone, we may need to sell a crop before before we get, before we even plant it. Um, and, and think about, you know, what is it we produce for a crop? You know, what's the worst crop we've had in recent history? And I'm going to say in the last decade, think about what that is. And, and the fact is, too, we have crop insurance as a backstop. Let's use that as a marketing tool. You know, we know we have this much of the crop covered, so we should be able. We should be comfortable if we can lock in margins to be able to, to, to think about that and and sell up into that. You know, sell to that level on the crop insurance side. So there are more tools than we had even a decade ago that farmers can use on the marketing side, and I think they do need to think a little bit outside that box or outside their comfort zone. I think it's a it's a perfectly legitimate question and something we really need to think about. You know, in these times, because if you get the opportunity. As we've talked about before, you get that opportunity to lock in margins. And I understand the basis is really wide right now. I get that. Um, but do some component selling, 405, a 4 in front of the board on corn, or, you know, you get a 10 in front of it on beans. Those are numbers you have to, you can't just ignore and think, oh, it's going to go higher. There's an opportunity. We're talking with Steve Nicholson, grain and oil seeds analyst with Bravo. 
would be hard to convince any farmers dealing with uh, weather issues and still trying to get their harvesting done that there's a there's a bright side to this picture but as you pointed out it does kind of stretch it out it helps maybe with some storage transportation issues but on the storage side we know it's tied in places a lot of bags out in the fields i mean uh, we got we still have a lot of crop out there to deal with no, that's right. I mean, and we looked at last year, and we won't really have a, a picture of that or a snapshot until, you know, we get the December stocks number in January. But I did some numbers, and I'm actually working on some research right now. You know, a year ago, and I'll say December 1 stocks, and we get that, you know, grain storage numbers, we had 71, 72% capacity utilization of all storage, both on-farm and off-stored, off-farm a year ago. So there's no reason to believe that number is not going to be higher this coming year. And you start looking at, you know, the states that we hail from. When you look at Illinois, you look at Iowa, you look at Minnesota, you know, those states, you know, their capacity utilization on storage a year ago was, you know, up in the upper 80 percentile. So, you know, big numbers. And so this is the kind of the silver line that this, this harvest has got drug out because that stuff now we get to maybe get move some of this into some channels that would help free up some of that storage. And I think the other thing, and I... I've heard this anecdotally, and I would be interested, you know, what people are thinking or what they're hearing out there. We hear that, you know, the storage costs in the sense of what is an on-farm storage facility going to cost you this year is is going to be up pretty substantially from a year ago. And I've heard some cases as much as, you know, double what it was a year ago. So those are some pretty, those are some pretty scary numbers to think about if you paid three and four or five cents a bushel last year per month for storage. You know, you talk about eight to ten, you know, eight to nine cents a bushel this year. That's that's a pretty hefty increase, and and that's the other thing to think about from a, a marketing perspective. Well, you can't stomach a lot of storage off farm very long, and and because it's going to erode the value of that you know that value of that crop pretty quickly. Well, we can't go very long without talking about China, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I was obviously, <laughs> in a normal year, I mean, uh, there would be especially soybeans, headed out the back door, perhaps headed to China. We're, we're not having that right now. No, we're not. Um, you know, there, is, there are beans heading to China. And, you know, you look, at the, you look at the numbers, you know, from the inspection numbers on Monday, you know, we still had 65,000 metric tons going to mainline China out of the Gulf of Mexico. So it's not like there was, and there was 69,000 metric tons from China went out the Puget Sound. So it's not like there's nothing Some. going to China. Right. Some, that's right. That's exactly right. Some. But you look at that from a year ago, and it's, it's certainly not even close to what it was a year ago. And you look at inspections year over year, we're, we're down double-digit percentages. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. We're talking to, you know, we talked to lots of folks over the course of time and, and even since the time we last visited. And, you know, we do expect that we see, you know, U.S. soybeans will find their way to China. It just won't be very efficient, like we said before. Canada comes to mind. Soybeans will be going to Canada. Um, versus, you know, and then going to China. Uh, we expect that, you know, we do expect we'll probably backstop Brazil and Argentina a little bit, is that their beans are going to China, and they're going to need some beans going there. And I'm going to actually, one of my, kind of my things yesterday thinking about, you know, we used to look at kind of year over year, look at inspections, where did all the, where did those things go on a week-to-week basis, and how has it changed? I mean, Argentina last week, um, it took 62, almost 63,000 metric tons of soybeans out of the Gulf of Mexico. So, I mean, that's a pretty big number as well. I mean, that's, you know, Spain was the big winner, uh, but she still had yet a lot of beans still going to Europe. Um, and so I think we're moving beans, but we're just not moving them in the big quantities we should be this time of year because you are now in that time period where U.S. soybeans 
uh, exports per week or inspections, you know, hit the height, and we're not even close to that, you know, those high numbers we've seen over the last several years. So, so I, this is how it works look, now. Brazil and Argentina will sell more to China, so that, but they're, they're going to sell so much they're going to be short, so we'll sell our beans to Brazil and, and Argentina? It kind of seems that way. I mean, it's, <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's the, you, you laugh, and it's the, it, you're absolutely right to laugh. It's the craziest thing ever. I mean, it, it goes back to the fact is that, you know, we don't, it's, you're, you are hurting the, the trade flow. You're changing the trade flow. Let me say it that way. It's not hurting. You're changing the trade flow. You're making that supply chain more inefficient because you've, you know, introduced these tariffs into the, into the, in the supply chain. And so the supply chain now is more expensive. And what that translates back to a farmer is it's going to be, it, it may or may not put pressure on the board, but it's going to put a lot of pressure on basis values because there's added costs in the supply chain, and basis reflects those added costs. And that's, that's the really sad part of the whole thing is it eventually gets translated back into a, a weaker basis for producers. Now that is that is really interesting. And it kind of gets back yep. to that point that we've talked before. When you have a major trade event, like the Russian grain embargo back those many, many years ago, it had long-term impact on how it changed the trade dynamic. And we're seeing that already, it sounds like, with this situation with China. Right. And that's been one of my talking points early on in this whole thing. And really want to go back to the, the 2016 primary season for both, and I'm not being partisan, I just, you know, both parties. When you make major changes in trade and disrupt trade like we have um, this you know in this time you do like the great you know the you know the, the Carter embargo to the late 70s uh, you know it takes a lot of years to repair that if you're and, and just put in the you know as you as a consumer if you go and trade with someone or you buy something from them and you get a bad product or you don't get the services that you expected you're wary to go back to them again and I, I think if you're a foreign buyer and think well, I'll just, I'll just go buy some corn or wheat or soybeans in the United States because they always have it. But in the back of their mind, they're thinking, well, wonder if the tariff trade thing changes or something else changes. And, well, I may not be able to get it when I want it or at the price I want. It puts doubt in that, in that buyer's mind. The buyer's going to think about maybe not trading in the United States. And it's going to take time for us to repair, and, and I'll just say it, the damage that has been done to our reputation as a reliable supplier of grain to the world. And that's Very interesting. Yeah, lots yep. to think about there. Yeah, All right, Steve, thanks. Really appreciate no it. Thank, Thank you for you being with us. No Take problem. care. Uh-huh. Good to see, talk to you. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Steve Nicholson, Grain and Oil Seeds Analyst with Rabo. Yeah, that's very interesting. Brazil and Argentina, they sell more beans to China because of our trade issues with China, but then they sell so much they're short, so we sell beans to Brazil and Argentina. Hmm, interesting. All right. Well, there are, as we mentioned, plenty of harvest challenges going on out there. We're going to talk with David Erickson next. He farms in the Quad Cities area in the northern part of Illinois. Um, they're dealing with some weather challenges. Finally, getting back to the fields this week, we'll get a harvest update next on AOA Adams on Agriculture. 
Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything, editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. Did you ever look at the stains in your coffee cup and then realize that's exactly what happens to your teeth? Paraswabs is the five-minute solution to get your teeth white without visiting the dentist. This is John Greenhut, the CEO of Paraswabs. And if your teeth are stained from coffee, tea, or smoking, all it takes is five minutes with Paraswabs. In five minutes, you'll see an average of two shades whiter teeth, and in seven days, six shades. It's clinically proven to whiten natural teeth as well as caps and veneers. The secret is a tooth detergent that was developed by Dr. Martin Ginniger that lifts stains off of your teeth. Best of all, there's no messy strips or trays that you have to leave in your mouth for an hour. Just swab your teeth for five minutes and you're done. To try Power Swabs risk-free, call 866-504-0276. That's 866-504-0276. I guarantee your bright white smile will have your friends talking about how great you look. Try it risk-free today. 866-504-0276. A powerful threat calls for a greater response. When there's a battle, bring strength. When there's a problem, seek answers. When there is doubt, give hope. Not tomorrow. Not in a few years. But right now. Some battles must be faced together. Cancer fighters stand up to cancer every day. And you can be part of this battle, too. Visit StandUpToCancer.org to learn more. Together, we can save lives. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. 
Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, as Harvest 18 stretches out for some farmers, uh, let's get a harvest update. We go to um, oh, the northern part of the state of Illinois, the Quad Cities area. Uh, David Erickson farms there, and I hesitate to say the weather looks pretty good this week to get uh, some harvesting done because I don't want to jinx you, David. Yeah. Yeah, I told you, you jinxed me last time you said we were going to get rain. I said maybe, and well, we did. We were out for just about a week, Mike, but we've been in a little hit and miss the end of last week and then uh, uh, actually had some snow flurries uh, last Friday morning and uh, some rain again over the weekend. So uh, really just getting back in earnest in the field here this week. But things are uh, progressing along, and it looks like we've got some nice, sunshiny weather coming this week. I don't know. I think I saw something about a chance of rain on Friday. Should I mention that or not? No, don't mention it. <laughs> don't mention it. Uh, you're going to owe me if it rains Friday. I'm telling you. I know. You. I know. I'll owe you. Okay. How much do you have done? Um, we're um, we're about, uh, oh, let's see, in our, our corn uh, harvest, we're at, we'll be down to our final uh about 15 percent uh corn harvest has really gone along quite well in our area uh mostly because the corn matured and got ready and then the other thing is that uh, soybeans weren't ready and then uh, we had weather that wasn't conducive to harvest soybeans but we're probably uh got 60 percent of our soybeans yet to harvest and i i don't know if that's typical i i of the area here i mean representative of the area i think it's probably pretty close i think uh there's probably uh, usually over half the soybeans left out here to harvest. Uh, what kind of yields have you seen on corn? Yeah, corn, uh, I think I told you last time we were running, you know, from the oh, 220 to 250 range, and it appears to be that's the case. Uh, some of our fuller season corn being at the higher end of that range. So I think before I mentioned that uh, it wasn't sure that we would meet last year's record yield. Um, it's looking more as we finish, get towards finish, that uh, we may, in fact, uh, have as good a corn crop as we had last year, which was uh, my farming career's best ever. Um, soybeans are still pretty variable, some really outstanding yields. Um, I'm talking about 80s and even up to 90. Uh, again, I still haven't experienced that, but a real range of uh, yields is part of it based on, uh, you know, how much rain you got and when you got it. 
You've probably heard from some of your friends around the state of Illinois about some bean yields even above 90, probably. Oh, yes. Yeah. And and nobody seems to know where they came from, Mike. You know, the, the, things, the areas that got them, they were kind of thinking, well, I don't know, uh, you know, whether we got enough rain to make a bean crop or not, but obviously they must have, and uh, no real rhyme or reason to it. I do think there are some soybean fields that, you know, had not been um, – in soybeans for a while. Um, I think that helped in the fact that uh, mm-hmm. I think uh, we manage soybeans, we collectively manage soybeans much more uh, uh, actively than what we used to. So um, I'm thinking that you put those things together and when the weather uh, works your way, you get a great yield. I heard, I was in a meeting yesterday with some uh, seed company field reps, and they made an interesting point that if you look back at this growing season of 2018, in the state of Illinois, we were right on the line of having a pretty bad situation. I mean, it, we were on the at, kind of at the tipping point of which way it was going to go, and it was looking like it was going to be too dry, too hot in some places, and it, it, the yields were really going to suffer. But it, it changed just enough at the right time to we have – now we're having these uh, – big numbers come out of Illinois. Yeah, I think they're on to something there, Mike. You've identified, I think, what people thought. You know, it's not uh, necessarily the quantity of rain that you get, but the timing of it. And I think that uh, current-day genetics have allowed us to, you know, hang in there and uh, wait for the rain to be kind of right. And uh, we've certainly been blessed with, uh, you know, productive soils in much of the state of Illinois. And I think you throw all those uh, great options together and we ended up with a good yield even though uh, uh, you know from a farmer perspective we maybe didn't play that big a role in it maybe it was more about uh, how things happened well you're certainly not alone in uh, in harvest uh, challenges yet we know in the dakotas and in iowa and minnesota wisconsin a lot of weather issues that that farmers are dealing with now you get to here where i'm at in west central illinois uh it's Many farmers are done. Others are close to being done. They actually had the challenge, a lot of them here, that the, the crop dried down too fast. Yes. Yeah. You know, um, they, they talk about that invisible yield loss when you lose uh, moisture so quickly, and sometimes that equates to some test weight loss that we don't really get it measured until we weigh it, uh, either going into the bin or, or when it comes out of the bin. So. Yeah, you don't want it to dry down too quickly, and it does seem to take quite a bit out of the stock. A little bit of stock quality issues, although uh, in our area, pretty much spared from uh, anything of any significance. Think you're going to be okay on storage? We we we're seeing and and hearing a lot about bags out in the fields. Uh, what about your area? Yeah, well, that practice really hasn't hit our area, but um, I think that we're in an area that uh, has build a lot of on-farm storage, and that's helped. We've had uh, local elevators, uh, both co-op and, and uh, privately owned, that are have done a good job of, of growing their business and uh, developing facilities. And actually, you know, this area, way back to the 80s, as at least you and I can remember, Mike, uh, this area built quite a bit of government storage back when there was a government loan corn and, and uh so that's helped out in these times when storage is tight. So I think it's going to be okay, but it certainly, uh, you know, people have to work their way through the tail end of this. 
All right, David, we'll let you get back to it, and hopefully the, the weather's going to cooperate and you get a lot of harvesting done here the next few days. Thanks a lot. That'd be great. Thanks, Mike. All right, take care. Illinois farmer David Erickson farms in that Quad Cities area, and as you heard him say, um, they got a lot of corn done, but they're they're really just getting going on beans and uh, getting back at it this week after some uh, wet weather the last uh, week or so. All right, that's going to wrap it up for today. More coming up tomorrow. We'll talk about uh, some trade deals the administration is talking about pursuing and more on the harvest and all sorts of uh, big issues here as we make our way through this month of October. Glad you're joining us right here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture.